0: You're seeing technology start to get smart enough to where you can start to anticipate some of that stuff. I was part of a company that was doing some things for in-cockpit systems, and when you're a pilot flying in a, a you know VFR and you're you can have all the visual range and you're flying and you interact with that software very differently than if you're in a stressful situation where you're on instruments and there may be a storm or winds. It's a very different situation to interact with the technology in that setting.
1: Welcome to Humanizing Software, where we explore our ever-evolving relationship with technology and its impact on our professional and personal lives. Hear incredible stories and gain valuable insights from global industry leaders as we discuss their relationship with software and how it's developed over the course of their career. As technology continues to evolve and brings us closer together, it should enable people to do what they do best while we uncover what they do best with the help of technology. And now your host, Andrew Tall. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And welcome to Tailwind Business Ventures on humanizing software, where we explore a number of issues, ideas, thoughts, and ways in which we want to interact with this key conversation around humanizing software. What exactly does that mean? What does it look like now? And what is it going to look like in the future? We do invite you to come in and join us in the conversation, ask questions, tell us a little bit about what's on your mind or what you'd like for us to chat about over the course of the next 45 to 50 minutes. But engage with us. Tailwindsw.com is our website. So as we jump into today's episode, I am so incredibly pleased to have somebody that I have known and respected for the last several years but also can consider a wonderful friend. This gentleman is a serial entrepreneur who has founded and created a number of successful SaaS-based companies. The one of which we're gonna be talking about quite a bit today is his latest venture within banks, focusing really on budgetary and spend management. As we join in on our conversation today, please join me in welcoming Rob Kasparak to the conversation today. Thank Rob, you, Andrew. Good morning, how are you? I'm doing well. That was an excellent introduction. Excellent. Well, (laughs) excited to have you on. We're well overdue. And by the way, one of the things, even though we're separated probably by maybe 10 to 15 miles, I haven't seen you in forever, and we're going to need to... Not do this screen thing, but do the coffee or lunch catch up <laughs>
0: thing sometime here. The, the real life thing. I am all for that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: And that's part of what we're going to be talking about on the humanizing side is keeping the humans, the real life aspect, instead of these screens and leveraging this wonderful technology around us. As we always do, our favorite thing to start off with, or frankly, my favorite thing, because I get to put you on the spot, is Rob, tell everyone who's listening in, and remembering that digital is forever. So people will come back and watch these over and over again. <laughs> no. Tell us the Rob Kasmerak story.
0: So computer science guy, I grew up in a family that I didn't know was different other than uh, than being vicious and pouncing on any any kind of weaknesses they saw. It was very entrepreneurial. So my my grandfather had come here from Germany in the 50s, well, late 40s. And and in the 50s, he started the world's first really industrial recycling equipment business. So I I grew up with, you know, Grandpa having a global organization and and watching him run that and do different things. And then on the other side, I had my aunt and uncle ran a manufacturing business in plastics. And so I got to see, you know, Grandpa's business be large. uh, My uncle's business be, you know, mom, pop. And what was interesting about that is my grandfather always said, I should have stayed small like your uncle. And my uncle said, I wish the company was big like your grandfather. And so they, they both wanted what each other had. And uh, I thought that was fascinating because the, the grass always looks greener on the other side, right? Fast forward that, grew up a, and sold mirrors to kids in classrooms and or in the school and then golf balls to folks in the golf course and anything to kind of buy a new skateboard or something I needed or wanted. So, yeah, just Kind of did that throughout when I was young, and then got into college and started a business where I was doing U2000 conversions, so COBOL, CICS, mainframe coding, which was fun but boring and tedious all at the same time. <laughs> and that started my first business, which was a services business. And then I just kind of bounced around creating services businesses and product businesses and found my found a long, long kind of line and, and career path in computational fluid dynamics and electromagnetics. Uh, I really enjoyed physics and physics equations. So there was that. And then, yeah, spun out. I left fluid dynamics company in uh, 2016 and having taken that global and really ex- experienced that, realized that the finance tech stack was pretty poor when you got into the mid-market. It, you know, the, the Expensifies and all the shiny fintechs kind of fell off, and you were left with antiquated old technology that you kind of cobbled together and really ran that business off Excel spreadsheets and then uh, decided to fix that problem. And so that's what we're squarely focused on within banks is is a budget and spend control for mid-market businesses, community banks and regional banks to help them better serve their smaller and mid-sized businesses as well.
1: Excellent. I want to go back to several different areas that you mentioned because I love the fi- family dynamics on the entrepreneurial side. <laughs> and you said what I was literally thinking when you were talking about your grandfather versus your dad versus your uncle, the grass mm-hmm. is always seemingly greener. On the other Always. side. And, and we're going to come Always. back to that. But before we even get there, we, I've got to have the conversation because I need to verify that I actually heard what I heard. Did I specifically hear you say that you really enjoy physics? physics equations?
0: <laughs> yes, you did. I love physics. I, I, how, are we, how are we friends? How does, that, how does that happen? <laughs> I, have no, I have no clue. I have no clue, Andrew. Physics isn't as, I don't know, it's not as scary as people think. It's just its just a set of rules that just happen to live in mathematics, right? It is. It is. I know that. I distinctly remember
1: physics and AP physics and AP calculus being two of those uh, courses in high school that we'll just say that they didn't provide the happiest joy-joy uh, high school experience <laughs> for me. So we'll just, we'll leave it
0: at that. Well, in, in full disclosure, like the, the physics in high school, you don't really know how you're going to apply it in real life, right? And then when you're in real life, I now view every problem as a flow problem. Like everything is a flow problem, whether it's a business or whether it's not, right? But there's a separate yes.
1: conversation about um, in high school, what anybody's thinking about from a whole life <laughs> perspective, but that's for a different podcast at a different time. So I, I want to go back because there was a couple of different threads that I wanted to pull off of uh, from your past history and specifically on your entrepreneurial stint with various aspects of your family. Literally, I've got this small business, I've got this large business. And I love when you mentioned that you were selling golf balls at a golf <laughs> course. When I was in Anchorage, Alaska, at Elmendorf Air Force Base, I would get up at five or five 30 in the morning and go and bicycle down to the base golf course, be there at six o'clock. And I would have two things. I had two business models. One was I would gather up from the course where I knew where people would hit bad shots. Mm -hmm. It's probably directly why my golf game so horrifically bad, (laughs) but I would collect the golf balls in the evening. And then I would resell them in the morning to golfers and ask to be their caddy, which just, you know, and it's an easy, simple way to make between 10 and 20 bucks way back when and whatnot, (laughs) that would take up my morning. And then in the afternoon, I would blow it usually playing on video games. So I mean, that (laughs) was summer in Alaska for me. But I, I love the fact that you mentioned the entrepreneurial stint, and you started before in high school, and then in college, and you were always looking at things business wise, any key threads, again, from your uncle, from your dad, from your grandfather, any key themes or threads that you've kind of really had instill you throughout
0: your business creation? Yeah, that's very interesting because you, I believe that we are products of the people around us, right? So we, we are, constantly pulling from the models that we see around us and so my grandfather was very very german very process oriented, very very by the book right and and i definitely can see the value in that especially when you're operationalizing something and when you're when you're trying to uh, build efficiencies into something but there's a part where you're trying to innovate where you're not really trying to be efficient. You're just trying to figure out a solution. And that piece of it was something that, you know, I kind of blended my grandfather's approach to a pragmatic of simple approach to my uncle on the other side who had a manufacturing business which was he made models. And so that was a very a very innovative thing that he was doing with his hands, with wood, with different mediums in which he was working with. And there was like a culmination of the two that kind of came together. And so when I tend to look at a problem, I tend to break it down into like, what is its simplest form? Like what can what can we simply do to solve or make it a little bit better? And then what is the best case scenario? Where is that solution great? And where does that kind of you know, what does that look like? And so in my head, I'm constantly doing these kind of like thought, almost thought experiments, right? Where you're kind of running through a process. And so I don't know if one person was was distinctly responsible for that, or if it was just like a culmination of it. Interestingly enough, with the golf course scenario, we, we sold on the 12th hole, and then my cousins were selling on the other side of the golf course. There's this kind of healthy competition that existed between the two of us. Right. And so one drove the other, but it was a private golf course and nobody was supposed to be on that golf course. So we'd have to sneak on. And to your point, we did exactly that. We would go, my brother would go actually pick up the balls cause he was good at, at finding the balls and, and things and then my, I can remember my brother, a golfer, said to us, hey, you really need to sell beer. You need to sell some alcohol. And so my brother on the way home was like, I'm going to ask mom if she'll get us some beer and we can sell it. So <laughs> that didn't go over too well. So there was a there was a portion of innovation that kind of came from that healthy competition too, trying to out, outsmart your, your family and your cousins. I,
1: I love that. And, and it's interesting because whatever it is that they want to do, be able to do which is exactly what my parents instilled in my older brother and me right. and it sounds like you've had kind of a similar experience as it pertains to that
0: yeah i was just talking about this yesterday i was doing an interview and and she asked me like what are three things that you give advice on young founders and, and i thought that was interesting because i don't really know and then i started to think about it and i'm like oh, i guess i do kind of know like for me, I have this insatiable appetite for understanding and learning. Like I look at everything as if it's a mechanism and I want to figure it out. And so the same is true for business payments. Like why is the mid-market so underserved and and spending and business payments? And that was my big like why. And then when I started to dig into it, it was like an onion peel. You start to uncover more and more and more and more and you go further down the rabbit hole with it. And it, for me, Every morning I wake up and I get like a like an excited feeling in my stomach to go figure things out and I get to go try new things and do new things. And so that I know I'm on the right path. It's a feeling. It's not a knowledge thing. It's not a rational thing. It's an emotional thing, I believe. And so there's that component to really doing something well that you that I think you have and you can find it in different things. I mean I have a four-year old and a two year old. And my two-year-old loves to break my four-year-old's things that she builds, and she loves to build the things. And so, right now, that's the ecosystem by which they're working on. But, um, but for me, you know, it, this business was far more challenging than my other businesses. Um, it's issuance, it's commercial credit, it's banking, it's like. You know all the things that are kind of are kind of hard and and have a lot of regulation around, and a lot of processes, and a lot of understanding. So this business is far more difficult than any of my other ones. But I think there's three things that i that I do in combination every day, probably every minute, which is you know dedication. So dedication to the problem, commitment. And that commitment to the problem is doing the things you need to do to figure out the problem and then sacrifice on the back end. I mean, you're constantly sacrificing and weighing between two things. But doing this interview, I had to sacrifice something on the backside, right? And so a lot of people think it's a one-time thing and then you're done. And no, it's every day, every minute. I'm sure you can talk about this with your kids, right? There are times that you wanted to do things with them that you couldn't because you had to get something out or you had to be physically present for someone. So th- there's that piece of it. And if you don't have that kind of like anxiousness or tickle in your stomach to to go do it, you're probably not going to do it for very long, right? And then the, the other thing is, I think there's a lot of noise in the space. And certainly for us, we started this company and right after the pandemic and you hear about all these people raising, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars and it looks real easy. I can guarantee you those people it wasn't easy. <laughs> it's never easy. It doesn't matter what the press makes it seem like overnight success or not overnight success. They've taken, you know, 5, 10, 15 years previously. It just looks like that to the outside world. So Cutting out all the noise and not paying attention to it and staying focused and staying true is kind of what I found is, is now most important more than ever, right, especially with all the noise. First of all, huge, huge
1: congratulations on the recent completion of the fundraise for N banks That, I do know, the blood, sweat, and tears that you and your team have put in relative to that. And Knowing a few of the investors that are part of that that and have had a couple of follow-on conversations, I know that they are firmly behind your team. And I, I think it's anywhere to go but up uh, relative to that. So congratulations on that and having yes, had sir. the opportunity to raise uh, quite a bit of funds over the last few decades it is absolutely a slog and it, it, it does. It does require the dedication. It requires the commitment and it requires the sacrifice. Those three yep. things you had mentioned. And by the way, Rob, the only thing that I'm going to kindly and gently correct on what you said, this isn't an interview, man. We're just chatting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: All right. Yeah. We're just, we're just having a fireside chat. Yeah. So One of the things that we talk about here, and I know, you know, Tailwind, that uh, from a company perspective, we're a custom dev shop that we build stuff. And Mm -hmm. the whole intent of us doing this live cast and now going into almost our second year of doing this live cast is really, this is not about in banks. This is not about Tailwind. This is not about company specific. It's actually about this concept. And yes, the companies are important because right. Tailwind one does what we do. Banks does what you do. But it really is this concept around software is incredibly pervasive throughout almost every aspect of our lives, whether it's all of the software that's going into us now being able to be in two completely different parts of the city in this case, but yet going to Mm -hmm. completely radically different parts broadcast around the world to an audience of however many people might be listening at this one moment. There's a lot of technology that goes into just simply making this happen. And if I look at the technology that's involved on this phone, which makes our lives infinitely more simpler and oh, by the way, infinitely more complex at the same time, Mm -hmm. it just involves a number of, we're talking zeros and ones, right. the zeros and ones ultimately create the software. If it gets on the hardware that allows us to order something, check the weather, check stocks, make a trade, do a FaceTime call, whatever that may be. At the very nuts and bolts of it though, as we continue, and I'm not going to yet bring up the whole chat uh, GPT and um, open AI and <laughs> all, all of the generative and conversational AI components, which we will talk about. But yeah. when we look at foundational software, what has your experience been with various companies that you've been either created or been associated with, Rob, with how you've seen it migrate over the years from initial software is pretty simple, straightforward, to now you've got crazy amounts of power that you've got just in the power of your hand with an iPhone or a, a Google
0: phone? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. When you think about and thinking about you know, college where I started in, in COBOL and mainframe coding, that's a very structured code. It's doing something that is very repetitious, but it's doing it well. And so fast forward to today and, you know, we, we do stuff with the Fed and, and payments, and that is all still done on mainframe, which is crazy to me To But for, for something repetitive that will work, you know, that structured code works well. What we're now getting into and what you've seen evolve is, A, our interactions with, with software and with technology is changing and different. And then the software itself is adapting and maturing over the life cycle of it. So what you see is a refinement of the actual software's. And then as humans, right, we interact with that software in, in a very unique and different way. And so for me, I've always had this fascination for interacting with with software, right? Like yeah, we interact with our phones today. And if your day is low stress, a friday saturday where you don't have a bunch of things to do you interact with your phone in a very different way than if you have two kids pulling on your clothes and you're trying to do something and schedule something right so there's even as as our day you know evolves and as our situations change the way we interact with that solution or that technology changes and so you're seeing you're seeing technology start to get smart enough to where you can start to anticipate some of that stuff. I was part of a company that was doing some some things for in cockpit systems, and when you're a pilot flying in a, a you know VFR and you're you can have all the visual range and you're flying and you you interact with that software very differently than if you're in a stressful situation where you're on instruments and there might be a storm or winds. It's a very different situation to to interact with the technology in that setting. So, you know, I think. Where we're evolving to is solutions that can adapt to the environment in which we're operating in, which I think is fascinating.
1: So this adaptability that you're talking about, and I'm going to go back to something that we do from a building software perspective, seeking to understand using the old Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seeking to understand rather than be understood. I think that's one, if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) but it's, it's not the, hey, let me tell you what you need. Let me tell you exactly how I believe that this needs to go. It's sort of a more of a collaborative approach of what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What does what, yeah. what, what the it look like of what it is that you really want that to be? And, the, and there's a lot to that it that is around the user experience, that is around the the journey of that customer's experience, that is about what all other different type of tech, type of technologies is going to take it that you're going to need to take. And in and within banks as an example, you guys have got to have multiple intake factors from mm-hmm. all different types of disparate sources uh, because you're talking about spent tracking spend and budgeting and making sure that where the dollars are flowing, that you guys are understanding how many dollars, where from, what timing repetitive, just I imagine just hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of variables that are associated with that. How are you guys, because I love you mentioned you like to put things in a flow from a physics perspective, (laughs) keep it simple, but then kind of understand how it flows through. How are you guys defining that process of taking this crazy thing of distilling literally thousands of potential touch points or endpoints of data and making it into something that is easily understood and presentable?
0: Yeah, it's, it's challenging, and I think the core rule or principle is you got to understand context. You have to understand the context to the action, because without that, you don't understand it. My co-founder is Aaron Upshaw, and I, and when I first wanted to do this within banks, I, I went to Aaron and I said, I want to build an enterprise-grade solution from the ground up. I don't want any legacy tech that we have to fix. Like I want to do it from the ground up exactly as you would in today's world with the latest and greatest technology. And I want to be able to innovate faster than the market with the tech stack. And so how do you effectively do that and still ensure quality? And then, oh, yeah, along the lines, we have to understand if somebody, if there's fraud on the system, what that fraud will look like and act like, and then you know if there's money laundering that's coming into the system we have to understand that and flag that and so we have a lot of provisions that we have to look at because we are regulated you know we are in, in the chain from the Fed to the end spender. So we're regulated and we have to maintain policies and, and workflows around that. But how can we effectively understand the context of a user's action to make that action better. And the concept that we kind of came to was as an ad, if I'm an admin, if I'm a budget owner, if I want my first interaction with the solution to be easy, I want it to be easy and give me a very generalized overview of what it is I'm trying to see or get get access to. And I think Apple does that very well. They they do that very well. You can get you know your Mac is pretty simple when you but you can get command line on it, which is amazing and awesome, right? And so we went with that same concept of. You know, I want to be able to drill down and each part I drill down into should give me more and more granularity into what it is I'm trying to find. And so that's how we're looking at our technology development and and the technology. And now understanding the context is something that Aaron, you know, has built a system around and, and and a way to effectively kind of look at what's happening before so that we can understand at that action point why it was why it was done.
1: So the that whole process, and I know that you and Aaron have put quite a bit of lean in thinking of, but hey, we're going to start this from the ground up. We want to not leverage anything that is existing. We're going to literally everything that we create is, is, is from the ground up. When you look at where you started when you guys first had this iteration of "Hey, I want to provide this system with which is going to solve problem X." How has that changed? How long have you been at NBanks now, Rob? Is it three years, four years? It's three personally,
0: two years since for the company. So okay. a bit overture.
1: Yeah. So, but in the last twenty-four to thirty-six months, I know that you uh-huh. guys have you, that you guys have iterated quite a bit on where you thought it would be back then and where it is now. Walk me through a little bit about what that process looks like as to what you guys, I mean, the 2023 Rob going back to the 2020 Rob and all the craziness that you guys had to go through with the machinations of the macroeconomic and COVID and everything else environment in the last three years. Yeah. What would you be saying to the 2020 Rob about, Hey, here's a hint,
0: do this or don't do that. <laughs> Dude, do this or don't do that. I think it's interesting because we knew, I, I knew that, budgeting, like my concept or my theory was that no business owner wants another card program, another AP solution. They want to be able to look at their cash flows and get a good transparent view of what's going out of the business and what's coming into the business so that they can understand you know, how healthy that business is. And so that concept is still the same. Budgets and control is still the same as a business you want to know what am i spending and can i stop that prevent that spending and today you know without w- with the current providers in the mid market you can't do that so so those things are still consistent but the way in which we drive that solution set is very very different i mean we full disclosure i didn't know how difficult issuance was on the card side i didn't realize a lot of the intricacies i you know i went through and read the whole i was telling somebody this i read the whole occ manual on how banks were regulated just so i could understand the regulation piece and i told somebody that and they're like you don't need to know that that's the bank's business and i'm like well if i'm building tech for the bank you kind of do have to know that and you got to know when you're on and when you're off and what their world looks like so there was a, a million things that we changed ideated on and and kind of adapted to the environment that we were in And I don't know if there's, I probably tell myself to be more patient (laughs) because I was, I was pushing myself really, really hard in the beginning and I still am. And I still, I still push myself hard, but there was this kind of like feeling that I needed to get there faster because I I saw an opening and I saw something. I was like, man, I need to go there because I don't, I don't want anybody else to get there before me. And it's not necessarily who's there before you. I think it's to bring this full circle to your listening. I think it's who listens best. And when you listen to the customer and to the people using the software, you learn a lot about how to improve that experience or what needs to happen and what maybe doesn't need to happen. Okay. So that directly leads into the, yes, getting the experience
1: right for your customer, John or Jane Doe, as an example, is absolutely right. critical. And that is the very essence of what we're talking about with humanizing software, keeping the humans into the software, leveraging technology where it can be leveraged specifically to let's make something automated. Let's make something easier and let's figure out how to solve a problem that gives a lot of people headaches and make it less of a headache or make that headache go away. And John or Jane Doe is happy because our technology is solving a specific problem for them that is allowing them to not worry about this and they can focus in on other things. Yeah. That's the humanizing side of it is providing this capability of, as you said, listening and being reactive. But here comes the challenge. We're humans. By our very nature, we're a pain in the rear end. Yes. What John wants doesn't necessarily mean what Jane wants. And they can, by the way, be in the exact same company. Yeah. And they, they can both be owners of the company, but want to have completely different, their own human requirements of what John wants versus what James wants can be radically different. How do you guys recognize the difference of the diversity of the humans that are part of the journey? And how do you try and get to that happy medium to make sure they're all kind of going, yes, we get it and we like this?
0: Yeah, I take the stance, and this is probably due to you know all of my experience, but I take the stance that we should allow the customer to do anything they want to do within reason, right? For instance, within banks, we have a unique way that we can we can allow control to happen. It can happen at the employee level. So you can control a certain level of employee or specific employees with spending controls, set daily limits on those employees. You can also put controls on the cards. So this card that I'm giving you only has a $500 spend limit per day or can only be used at the fuel pump, cannot be used inside of a, inside of a gas station or in a, you know, the a, a supermarket, or you can impose the controls on the budgets. And that's a more globalized approach, which I prefer because I don't want to manage 3000 cards. I want to manage one budget that all those cards attach to, and then everything's provisioned off that one control. So for me, it makes sense. Now, not every business is run like that. And so the stance that we take in our design and our tech team takes is that the system should be pliable enough that you should be able to adapt it to how you currently operate. And then you pretty quickly get, you can spin around in a, in a kind of swirling tornado and get to a spot where I could break the system if I do these things and where you have to. And so then then the the tech side wants to prevent that breaking from happen happening, right? But the prevention of that breaking from happening then limits your your functions or your features i should say so the idea that you let the market dictate and let the market kind of dictate the controls you put on the system is what we've we've taken and that's worked well because the majority of the time the user experience where the user wants to do something they know that if they go too far, they'll break it. And they don't generally go too far. Now, in some cases, they do go too far and they don't know it. And those cases are kind of where you have to have your flags and your your guards set up. But that's the approach that we take on it. And the stance that we take is to allow every business to operate as it, as it naturally operates. And we blend the technology to that operation.
1: So you talked a little bit about adaptability. Now I hear, if I'm summarizing a little bit, flexibility of Mm. reacting to what the market is telling you. And in this case, the market could be John or Jane individually as two different business owners, or it could be um, Frank and Sally, the folks who actually run the management operations, the treasury operations, the whatever group at a particular financial institution. That sure. um, and, and that they've got a certain letter, set of controls. You reading the OCCU handbook, which, by the way, I can only imagine the magnificence of early late night reading that could be. It's so
0: early way. morning actually. It was four a.m. that I would get up and read that for about two hours before the day. So <laughs>
1: yes, coming to you, I don't
0: recommend that.
1: Yeah, coming to you live from Tailwind, the way to solve insomnia. <laughs> coming to you directly from Rob. So. I think that uh, flexibility and adaptability, and, and it goes back to what you were talking about early on, on the dedication, on the commitment, on the sacrifice, kind of three things that were key to you. Yet now we're talking a little bit about the flexibility and the adaptability of making sure the power of the pivot, I think is an important piece where when you're going down a certain path and you recognize for whatever reason, If John or Jane are shaking their heads going, man, I ain't getting this, or your partner banks aren't buying into what you're selling, obviously, that's not the case with you guys because you've got a successful product. You've got some successful recent investment, which is excellent, especially in these, we'll call it lightly turbulent times with which we are in capital (laughs) markets. But you guys have now got the runway to build out and continue to figure out what this customer journey is going to be uh, specifically for what you guys are trying to accomplish let's fast forward we talked about the past we're talking about the current about flexibility and about adaptability let's look in the future and i want to bring in i'm going to bring it in and get your thoughts relative to you cannot open up any particular article however you're digesting media slash news slash whatever it's very very hard to get away from ai the concept of artificial intelligence both as a blessing as well as as a curse I see both ends of the equation. We've talked about it quite a bit, especially over our last probably dozen dozen and a half episodes as it's just become more and more in the mainstream. When you guys think about the impact of artificial intelligence from what you're specifically doing, both micro and macro level, how are you guys planning for change relative to the industry on the positive and the negative side?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So being in fluid dynamics in the engineering space, we did something at the previous business that was pretty interesting. They used genetic algorithms and they pitted those genetic algorithms against each other to figure out the best fit scenario or the best fit design for something. Right. So that was interesting. And I just actually in Quanta's magazine, I just picked up how Google had done this, this mathematically, they can solve arrays very effectively and efficiently. And they've actually broken a 50 year old speed limit on solving for multi-dimensional multi-dimensional ra- arrays. And so there's something computers do very well. And that's structured. Problems and they can solve those structured problems very well. But what we do as humans is we take abstract thinking and creativity and blend it with this structured thought. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world around AI and what could it do and what, you know, what areas is it going to impact and what things is it going to change. And I think that if you use it as a tool and apply creativity and innovation to it, it will serve as a tool to kind of drive us forward. And so you're always at odds with the negative consequences of something, the positive and negative. If you look at fraud, fraud drives, and the the fraud on system drives the controls and the checks on the system. So there's a, a relationship between the security of something directly correlated to the threat of something right or the the immediate threat of something so you need the negatives to drive the positives and so i think that you know this is still it's a similar case to where ai can be used in a negative way but you can also use ai to combat the negative bin in connotation on the ai how we're planning to use it i mean we just i had a call with my product uh, chief last week and he said, check this out. I could I can use AI to define a process and then we can review that process. And actually what was interesting about it is that the process it built for us when we asked it a question, like, how would you effectively process a chargeback? Right? Like a chargeback on a credit. And The steps it came up with were exactly consistent with the steps that are in regulation, but it had actually added a step for an upload of proof, which had not been in there, which was interesting because it picked up on a step that we had overlooked early on and realized, oh, yeah, you do need you do need proof that maybe this charge was not done or this charge was a different amount than the charge. So there's interesting impl- implications to it. And I think, you know, to keep you at that structured area or structured kind of storyline, machines do things very, very structured, and they do it very efficient, right? Where we can apply creativity and innovation to that structure, I think there's a nice blend and a nice common ground that happens, and you can get further ahead using it faster i should say yeah. so the i see the construct
1: of both on the positive and negative side i i, I love the fact that uh, for all of those listening in apparently prompt engineer is a thing now and not yeah. only is it a thing it's a very 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 highly paid thing and what does that mean that is Somebody who is leveraging ChatGPT as an example, and there's others that are out there, uh, both domestic and abroad. I'll just use OpenAI's ChatGPT 4.0 paid subscription model as an example. There are different results that you will get and the way that you ask the question with a level of specificity based off of what you want to get out of it. So in other words, it goes back to asking the right questions Um, To make sure that you're getting the output that you expect. If you ask something about, write me a letter of engagement for a private investment versus I am a $23 million organization that is seeking funding for 50 to $60 million for additional growth based off of, and you could put in a whole bunch of different factors associated with that. How would you position? What would your initial potential offering letter or a memorandum look like? That's going to be radically different in terms yep. of what you're going to get. And it's that input output piece. And what I hear you guys saying is you want to leverage the positive outputs to make sure that even from a process, going back to that flow piece, that the flow is consistent and that it is capturing as many variables. And in this case, it captured another one that wasn't technically in the regulations, but it is something that you guys are like, Hey, this is important. This is something that we need. And it's making yep. you guys better, Able to uh, create, and manage your business more effectively.
0: Yeah, that was exactly the article that I read. Funny enough, last night was exactly that. Google asked uh, asked the AI to what was solve these two arrays in the least amount of steps, and the system spit back out, "That's too vague. I can't do it." All right, and so what they said is solve this array and this array in the least amount of steps and the system could do it then. And that's how it discovered this new method of mathematics that it came up with. And so it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it, it it's the way in which you ask the question. And the same is true when you go into a customer and say, you know, why is this feature that you're, you're requesting, why is this important to you? And it's understanding the context by which they're asking that question so that you can get to a deeper understanding of it. And you're exactly right. It's interesting on a number of different fronts because there
1: is active listening, semi-active listening, and I'm present, but I'm not listening at all. And you've met my wife, Megan, and she'll have her own thoughts in terms of um, uh, which one that I apparently utilize more often on the home front than I probably need to. But that's a me thing. I, I just had to throw that in there. I'm not even sure why. The, the listening side is so incredibly important as it pertains to kind of building out what the model looks like, everything as it pertains to that. The, the, the question that I like to ask, and we'll start wrapping up with this because I, again, want to make sure that we're being respectful of your time, Rob, and our audience's time yeah. as well. We call the livecast humanizing software but there's a very important three words that are the subtitle associated with that people driven tech mm-hmm. seems pretty straightforward yet different people have. And it's interesting. I have asked this question on every one of our previous episodes and towards the end, just to kind of think of it as a little bit of a wrap up piece, because different people I found have radically different takes on what these three words mean, people driven mm-hmm. tech. So I'll ask Rob, Rob, humanizing software, pretty simple and straightforward. People-driven yep. tech, those three words, what do those mean? Well, how do those resonate with you in particular?
0: So that's interesting because as you're, as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm thinking about a, a world where the tech is driven by the person. So if I'm in a stressful situation, my tech then picks up on that and adapts to that stressful t- situation, maybe gives me less options, more straightforward, more, uh, more tailored to my experience. And so- I think that we're going to emerge into a into a world where the tech is driven by the people that are operating it and we're driven by the environments that we operate in right those that sets the emotional kind of resonance for where we are so I think we're at this this really interesting spot in the history of tech to where it's now, we now have the capabilities to really lean into that uh, tech side and really let the people drive the experience of the tech. And for me, that's fascinating because it's, it opens up a whole bunch of possibilities on the on the other side of it. And so that's the way I kind of am thinking about it and the way it, it resonates with me. There's some great wisdom
1: in that, especially around the importance is there's Rob here on one side of the equation. There's Andrew here on the other side, two people mm-hmm. just having a conversation. And by the way, there's going to be these same two people having a conversation over lunch that we can get caught up on, <laughs> not only the business stuff, but on the real stuff, how everything's happening at the personal side. The, the interesting piece from my side is actively listening, actively participating mm-hmm. We've talked about flexibility. We've talked about adaptability. You mentioned early on the dedication, the commitment, the sacrifice that's needed. Mm -hmm. All of those are incredibly important in so many different pieces. However, when we look at each one of those tag phrases or words, flexibility, adaptability, commitment, dedication, sacrifice, Mm -hmm. they all involve one point of singularity, the human that's involved with each one of those. Any comments or thoughts with that as we wrap up for today?
0: Yeah. 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 Actually, uh, I, I have a pretty firm stance on that. Is I believe technology should support the relationships. Great relationships still need to happen. That's something that that I think when you look at the community banking market and what community banks do well, is they have a human connection with their clients, right? They have this this camaraderie, this, the banker is also friends in a lot of cases with the clients. And so there's that human component of it. And so when we started building in-banks, you know, we wanted to be the technology layer that supported that great human relationship and facilitated it. And I think that that's still going to be just as important yesterday as it is today as it will be tomorrow. You know? The
1: importance of the... True, genuine human connectivity point is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is quite probably the single best stopping point that I could think <laughs> of of the power of the relationship, something we talk about all the time with Tailwind, something you and I, Rob, have had a number of conversations with. I want to thank you very, very much so for your time today. I know that there was a sacrifice in us spending time together for for you being able to spend time on building the business. Very blessed that your team is sharing you with us for today's conversation. And thank you for that.
0: Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate being here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as we wrap up
1: today's conversation on humanizing software, we again invite you to um, visit our website at tailwindsw.com. Engage in the conversation that we're talking about engage and continue to have this humanizing side of the importance of the relationship being key. But as we finish up and wrap up with Rob today, a huge big thank you to everybody listening in now, as well as in the future. And we want to wish everybody out there a very, very good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening. Thanks so much for joining.
0: Thank you, Andrew.
1: Thanks for joining us on another episode of Humanizing Software with Andrew Tall. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. See
0: you next time.